we're bad at firing as a church because, well, would Jesus ever fire anyone? I don't see Jesus firing people in the Bible. You know, Jesus did fire the fig tree and it never bore fruit again. So, you know, to me, uh, it's actually a good example because the fig tree had a real clear job description, produce figs. Hello and welcome to another episode of Law and Church, a podcast for church leaders. My name is Brian Fitton. I'm here with Josh Bryant, managing attorney at Church General Counsel and an ordained pastor. So, Josh, last week we had a great interview with uh, William Vanderblumen, and, and this is the second part of that interview. Um, what are what are kind of some of your thoughts around uh, really even last week, but then jumping into the second part? Yeah, so we're kind of jumping into the second half of the employment relationship. You know, last week we talked a lot about the the things you need to do on the front end as you're writing a job description or checking references and doing background checks and and trying to figure out are you going to do a contract employee versus an at will employee. And now we're really going to to jump in to the the process in which you've made the decision you're going to hire and you've made the offer and everybody's in agreement. And here we go. We're jumping into that employment process. And, you know, the first thing that you're going to notice that we need to talk about, uh, and I really love this, this piece of advice from, from William here, he talks about needing to focus on the moment in your onboarding. You know, onboarding, a lot of times we go through a checklist and that can be important because we need to have a checklist in place and know exactly what we need to cover on day one. But a lot of times that's just, very anticlimactic. In your first day, man, it should be a, just a really big deal. And focusing on the moments there, still getting all of those things done that you need to do on an onboarding, doing the paperwork, going through process and policy manuals and so forth, but really building that up to start this relationship off with a bang. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the second part as well. So let's jump into that all right, well, welcome back to another episode of Law and Church. We are pleased to have William Vanderblumen with us again. Uh, we have talked about his expertise and, and uh, just experience and, and education and all that he does uh, with the Vanderblumen Search Group, and so we're not going to spend just a ton of time on that again, but what we do want to talk about is going into part two of this segment where we're talking through uh, how to hire uh, and uh, supervise and then, if necessary, terminate an employee. And what are some things that we need to, to work through on that? So, William, welcome. We're glad to have you back and glad to jump into this topic. Thanks so much, Josh. All right. Well, let's jump right in as we start talking about, all right, we've made the hire. We, we know who our, our person is, who's going to step into this job role. What are the most important areas that you think a church should cover when we're talking about onboarding new staff? And what are some things that they really need to look out for in that regard? Well, I think the first thing they need to do is build a system. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are very, very few churches, well, there are very few employers in the country who have a good onboarding system. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever had this happen, Josh, but I have. You interview for the job, you get the job, you're so excited about the job, you get to your first day of work, maybe you fill out your tax information and your benefit stuff, and then you sit at your desk and you wonder, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. And so what, what I've discovered uh, is that really great employers, and some churches are starting to figure this out, focus a whole lot of energy on making the first day a moment that will never be forgotten. Yeah. So if you could think about onboarding, think about the very first day. There's a great book called The Power of a Moment. 
and uh, it's written by the guys, the Heath brothers, and uh, in it they talk about the first day of work when you join the team at John Deere. It's pretty amazing. There are balloons at your desk. There's a note from the boss. There's a, a hurrah from the team. There's because they, they've they've discovered that people having a positive feeling about an experience boils down to not the whole experience, but moments. Yeah. But they use the example of, of Disney. You know, everybody's got this amazing memory of taking their kids to Disney. What's the reality of taking your kids to Disney? Uh, you go, it's hot. Everybody fights. You pay a million dollars for a Mickey shaped ice cream that melts all over your kid and gets on your shirt. You, you wait in line forever. You sweat. And then at the end of the day, there's a magical light parade and there's fireworks and everybody smiles and everybody goes home and they remember that moment yeah. and not all the other crap. Yeah. So, so focusing on that very first day, like how could we make this a moment they would never forget? You don't have to have parties. You don't have to spend a bunch of money, but intentional thought around that moment would be so key for onboarding. Secondly, same as in uh, writing a job description is accuracy. Just let them know what's needed. Uh, third thing is uh, we hear from employees all the time. I didn't understand how things really work around here till six months in. Mm. So like, what are the unwritten rules? What are the things that you, you would never see in the job description that uh, come up in the first few months? Like what are the inside jokes where somebody says a joke and you don't know it? Like we've made a list of those and we have a, a campaign we run through our software where people receive emails every day their first two weeks on the job telling them, oh, this is what this means. Oh, here's the history behind this. Here's the history behind that. So there's got to be a way for you to talk about your culture as a workplace uh, for you to make the first day really powerful and not just make it paperwork for benefits and taxes, but but a way to infuse uh, this person into your life. It's almost like families that adopt a kid and figure out how do we make this kid feel really quickly like they're part of the family? Like if you can think through that lens, I think your onboarding will, will become something really, really great. And, and I'll, I'll end where I started. The main thing is to have a system. Very, very few people have a real system for onboarding. Yeah. You, you know, I've heard from some churches when I talk to them about, you know, what's your onboarding process as I'm working, working with them just kind of as their general counsel. Uh, you know, one of the things I'll, I'll hear is, well, we, we do the paperwork. And then we give them the manual and ask them, that's their first day. We want you to read that. And that, I kind of could compare that to, to the, the Disney uh, trip. If you hand them a, a, an employee manual and say, read this on your first day. Um, so, I, yeah, definitely want to, to, to focus on those moments. And then I'm going to just throw in a shame, shameless plug here on this system. That's one of the things that we have intentionally tried to build here at Church General Council is an online customizable system that can house not only your employee manual, but training on the things that everybody needs to know. It can all be done online and you've got an automatic system that automatically tracks and keeps track of what uh, onboarding process that you brought people through. And I, I don't want to, you know, equate the policy manual that you read or the employee manual to, to this. And I don't want it to be a similar experience where you just say, okay, now sit down and do your computer-based uh, onboarding or whatnot. We want to make it much bigger than that. But at the same time, We've got to have those systems in place in order to keep track of that because, you know, we'll, we'll get into this here in a minute when we talk about termination and what are some things that uh, some of the liabilities that can come up with this. But 
if you're negligent in your selection of employee, if you're negligent in how you supervise an employee, or if you are negligent in how you retain an employee, it can bring some liability on your church. Uh, and, and so we want to make sure that we onboard them pro properly, uh, but then go on forward and start talking through, um, through how we supervise them. So let me just jump on to our next question here. What are some trends that you're seeing in the church in terms of, uh, of performance reviews and what systems are being used there? Right. Well, such a good question and somewhat the same answer. The trend I'm seeing is churches are starting to have performance reviews. Yeah. I mean, it, it, way too often the performance review is the offering plate. Like, are mm. the offerings up or down? Like that, that, that doesn't work. That doesn't give people real feedback. And getting the email about how you split an infinitive or you dangled a participle or you shouldn't mention Alabama when I went to Auburn or like all that junk, like that doesn't work. So, so what I'm seeing is two things. Smart churches are being clearer and clearer about what outcomes they expect from their employees. Now, the clearer to go back to last week's episode, the clearer the job description is, uh, the easier it is to write out what are the key performance indicators, or, or we like to say key result areas that we would like to see this year. And you know, then if you've got, hey, this year we ought to see these things happen tangibly. And I know that like if you're the spiritual growth pastor, how do you tangibly measure spiritual growth? Well, that's a little harder than you know, the, what's the attendance and what's the money. But there are ways to say, here are the key objectives we want done, the key results we'd like to see. And if you can map those out, well, then you've got a map for performance review. Well, how are we yeah. doing on this? Uh, now, two other things very quickly that I'm seeing in performance reviews within churches that do performance reviews, which is very rare. Uh, I, I'm starting to see churches not just focus on results, but also focus on uh, culture and focus on spiritual development uh, and even focus on soul care. So some non-objective things like what did you do to take care of your family this year? Yeah. You know, what are you doing to develop yourself as a person who's closer to Jesus this year than you were last year? And, you know, actually measuring performance. And now that's to some extent things that ought to be done, quote, on your own time. But, but on the other hand, it is vital to the job. And then uh, in larger churches, we're starting to see churches are really clear about what the cultural code is for being on staff, and, and they'll measure the performance of someone acting within the code of the church, like the cultural code. You know, I, in the corporate world, you see this all the time where you, you have a culture code, and then you've got the sales guy who's amazing at selling stuff and is a total rear end. Yeah. Like, what do you do? You know, I got a friend who wrote an article years ago for the New York times called, what do you do with the brilliant jerk? <laughs> and that, that's kind of the, the dilemma. What do you do? Uh, the other, the other side of this with the really nice guy on church staff who never gets anything done. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, a, a balance in a good performance review. Performance reviews ought to be a review of what's already been named as expectation the expectation should line up with the job description you were hired for. And all of that ought to be congruent around what are the key result areas you want to see? What, what's the spiritual development and soul care of the person that's working? And are they fitting in with the team around whatever the, the family values or the cultural code is for the staff? And, and then once you've got a system for reviewing, it's, well, how many times do we review a year? 
to me, it's uh, enough that people know how they're doing, but not so much that they're like, ah, I got another review. Yeah. So, so here we try and do twice a year. Now we have weekly check-ins that go against regular result areas. So it's almost like you're having a weekly performance review and the step back and do this twice a year is more of a, okay, let's get out of the business for a second and see how we're really doing. So, so just some regularity. You don't want performance review to be, well, they're doing really bad, so we better give them a performance review. No, it needs to be regular, yeah. uh, but not so much that people are just spending all their time in meetings. Yeah, yeah. I love that concept of tying your performance review back to uh, the, the job description. Uh, because ultimately as a lawyer, if I get into a situation where there's an employment dispute and it ends up in litigation, the one thing that I want is document, 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 document. I want to be able to flood a judge or jury with documents saying, here's how we handled this particular situation. And so if you have a job description um, and, and you bring that to the performance evaluation as well as any uh, expectations that were, were, you know, communicated last time or any time prior to the performance review, and then you tie the performance review, that document back to that job description. Here's what we hired you to do. Here's what we expected. And here's how you didn't measure up. Uh, then under those circumstances, I've got a lot better case to t- take to a judge or jury than if there is no paperwork on that. And ultimately, a lot of times what I'll tell churches is, look, if the job changes because the needs of the church change, you've grown, or now we're doing multi-site, or hey, we've Got, you know, had a new vision or we've got a new building plan, whatever, if that job changes as a result of changes in the church, then update that job description. Don't leave it as a static document. Make it more dynamic and continue to tie those things into uh, into one another, the job description and that performance review. completely so, agree. I was actually going to follow with that. So, we're, I mean, it's just uh, the church is a living organism and things change. Yeah. And, it, you know, I tell candidates all the time, you know, the best candidates, if we're Churches hire us to find their pastoral staff, so we go out to find people. The really great candidates don't have a resume because it's like, well, I don't know. I've never, people have always come to me for a job. I've never, and that sounds all fun. And, you know, oh, I love candidates that don't have a resume. But my advice to people is just as a measure of your own, like you ought to give yourself a job review every year. Like, how am I doing with my key role as disciple of Jesus? Uh, in my case, husband, then father then servant to the kingdom doing what I do. Like that's my, so how am I doing in those four areas, right? And, and part of that servant to the kingdom and doing what I do is every year, I think everybody ought to rewrite their resume. Mm. And, and that, that sounds like, well, I'm not looking for a job. No, 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 no. A resume ought to show what you have accomplished and, and where you have excelled, right? Not what you would like to do or what your dreams are, or your key objectives. No, Here's what I got done. And every year you ought to like personally sort of brush your teeth, if you will, professionally by, by doing a resume. Same is true of job descriptions. They ought to be redone every year because yeah. the church changes. Hopefully it's growing. And if it grows, everything changes. Or there's a year where there's 9-11 and everything changes or, you know, what have you. But uh, what really great advice. Sorry to take so long just to say, no. I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Appreciate that. Well, let's jump into this last one. We talked about this a little bit last week uh, as we were going through, uh, you know, reference checks and things like that. But sometimes these employment relationships, they just don't work out. So what are some things that some churches need to pay attention to? To, uh, in that process of terminating an, an employee and you know, what are some things you're seeing and some advice you're giving these days? 
Yeah, I, I think that, you know, when we started the first episode last week, we talked about uh, hiring and uh, what should there be in a job description. And I said, accuracy, like there should be no surprises, right? Same's true on the back end of the life cycle of an employee, right? Yep. Terminations should not be a surprise. Okay. Yep. And, and sometimes they are, okay. People can be, they can lack self-awareness or they can just flat be clueless. But I think the more an employer can make clear expectations the more they will take away the surprise factor of termination. Let's take a quick break and talk about our featured resource this week. Josh, what is it? Yeah, today's featured resource is the Vanderblumen Search Group. At Vanderblumen, your mission drives their mission. What started out as an idea at Mr. Vanderblumen's dining room table is now a company of 40 people that serves teams with a greater purpose around the globe by aligning their people solutions. Hire the right people, pay them well, plan for the future, and build a culture that lasts. Learn more at Vanderblumen.com. All right, let's jump back into the interview. Terminations are never easy. The day they get easy for you, go, go get in counseling, right? It just should not be an easy thing. But, but you can mitigate the, the, the nastiness of termination by it not being a surprise. So here's a couple tangible steps. First of all, do you have, as a church or an employer, whether you're a faith-based school or nonprofit or what, do you have a list of the things that you, the, the moral red cards that could be drawn. Mm-hmm. Like obviously criminal activity is something that's going to get you fired, but you know, is, is looking at something on a website you shouldn't look at. Does that get you fired? Does my, my friend and client Dave Ramsey, if you cheat on your spouse, you're fired. Yeah. I don't care how bad they were. I don't care what they did. If I can't, if your spouse can't trust you with, the house, I can't trust you with part of my, so that's just his thing, right? And I'm not saying that's what everybody's thing should be, but he's really clear on it. He's also clear on gossip. You get one warning, you gossip past that, you're fired. Doesn't matter how good a job you've been doing. So it's just very clear and not a surprise if someone draws a red card that they're gone. Yeah. In churches, unfortunately, it's not usually the red card. It's the, I'll, I'll talk every now and then, Josh, at conferences, and I'll ask the question, how many of you have ever been on a team where there's someone who's working just hard enough to not get fired? Yeah. yeah. And everybody goes, mm, you know, which is <laughs> kind of amen, but in the negative. Right. And, uh, you know, the reality of that is you get people, we, we're bad at firing as a church because, well, would Jesus ever fire anyone? I don't see Jesus firing people in the Bible. You know, Jesus did fire the fig tree and it never bore fruit again. So, you know, to me, uh, it's actually a good example because the fig tree had a real clear job description, produce figs. Jesus comes by, wants a fig, there isn't one, you're done. That's a blunt way of putting it, but (laughs) are there clear expectations, key result areas to go back to our prior conversation are, are there regular reviews to say, how are you doing? Are there regular reviews to say, are you acting in a way that fits in? And, and the more you can be clear about how an employee is doing, the less of a surprise the termination will be. So good job description, good key result areas, good review process will, will soften the blow and make it less likely that someone's surprised they're getting fired. Now, having said that, I've done all those things and still had 
the meeting where we've had the meeting and then we've had the, we need to get on a personal improvement plan. We need a 90 day correction. We have lots of articles about that on our website. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we've gone through the prayer meeting and man, if this doesn't work we, and then when you get to the meeting where you fire them, I've had people look at me really honestly saying, am I being fired? I'm like, yeah, you are. <laughs> and so it can still be a surprise. So when you've done all these things and, and it's, man, they're doing well. Oh, no, they're not doing well. Oh, they're faltering a little. Oh, the review's not going well. I, I do think it's important to have what we call a, a path to corrective discipline or a personal improvement plan or a probationary period, but it, but it ought to be a meeting where, you know, Josh, if you're, you know, at that place where the ice is really thin and you're working for us, uh, we're going to have a meeting and the meeting, the mistake I see people make is they walk in and say, Josh, we just love you and we want to see you succeed. We feel like you're not succeeding. And so do these things to succeed, man, because we're pulling for you and Jesus got out of the grave. So we know you can turn this around and that's great. So you leave feeling loved and cared for, and not understanding how severe the situation is. Yeah. So the meeting to say, we're putting you on a probationary period needs to be a meeting where the person goes home and frankly wants to throw up a little bit. It's like, I think I'm going to lose my job if something doesn't change. Yeah. And that's the most loving thing you can do in that moment is to say, this is not working. And I'm not sure it's going to work. Uh, the only way it will work is if these key things happen and, and you enter a period uh, and, a, and a probationary period or a personal improvement plan, I think ought to be uh, at the minimum longer than two weeks. 30 days is, is pretty good. And if, this, if the faults are not severe enough to be slowing the organization down, if it's just minor things that have stacked up, maybe make it longer, like 90 days. Well, why make it long at all, William? Why not fire fast? You're saying that all the time. Well, you know, firing hurts in the church and everybody on your church staff has a fan club. I don't care how much you want to believe otherwise, they do. Yeah. So, so for me, you take time so that when they leave, they can say, well, they gave me every chance. And you take more time than you would think, like 30 days. Why 30 days? Well, why not just two weeks? Let me ask you a question, Josh. You, you ever been to the gym the first two weeks in January? <laughs> yeah, I right. usually can't find the machine. Right. Everybody's going to lose 10 pounds and balance their checkbook and get right with Jesus. And it's all going to be great for two weeks. You go in the third week in January and it's crickets, right? Yeah. We're back to normal. People can fake change for a couple of weeks. But give them long enough to show patterns. Because when you're, when you're hiring, when you're reviewing, when you're terminating, there's power in the pattern. Yeah. And, and, Singular incidents, unless they're criminal or a red card, I don't know that those are fireable. But when you can show a person a pattern and, and name it, then you've got, you've got better ground to stand on because the termination is going to be a pain in the rear. And the final thing I'd say, we mentioned it in the last show, is when you're doing severance, be twice as generous as you think you should be. Yeah. And you'll think you're paying them off or giving them money you shouldn't. But the reality is you're just buying insurance for your church and, and you're buying yourself protection and you want, uh, you want people to be mad at you. Why were we so generous to them? <laughs> Instead yeah. of the post on Facebook from the former employee's granddaughter saying, my granddaddy can't take me to Chick-fil-A this week because he doesn't have any money and the church won't pay him. You're like, <laughs> you don't want that. It's no. not helpful. Yeah. So, yeah, be generous, uh, be clear, and, and uh, good job description, good key result areas, good review process keeps things from being a surprise. 
Yeah. Yeah. I like all of that. You know, the, the notion of, of having that performance review period um, and being able to see those patterns. Ultimately it's the patterns that I want to be able to show the show a court or uh, you know, a judge or jury, if we get into, you know, a worst case scenario. Totally. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, we talked about the job description and it being a fluid document and not, you know, a dynamic document, and not a, a static one and, and having these performance reviews, but that type of a performance improvement is just more documentation. If we can continue to show that pattern, uh, then it provides a level of protection for the church in addition to that level of protection and that insurance policy that you get with a severance agreement. So, Man, all of those things are just great, great, great uh, pieces of advice for churches who are hiring and have a staff. William, do you have any last thoughts uh, before we wrap up this this last episode? No, just appreciate you having me on, Josh. I've, I've gone longer than the time we should have gone, but uh, it's been great to be with you, and I hope it's helpful to some of your listeners. Well, I know it will be. We'll, we'll certainly have lots of, of comments on that. Uh, so thanks again, everybody. Thank you, William, for being on with us, and we will see you next week. You know, hiring the right people is is obviously very important, and I'm so glad that you guys dove into that um, in this interview. And so, Josh, what are kind of some of your final takeaways with that? You know, a lot of times when we're talking about employment, not only in the church world but in the business world, a lot of things you'll hear are things like make sure not only you get the right people on the bus, but you get the right people in the right seat on the bus. And one of the ways I think we can do this, and we talked about this last week, is kind of our – you know, introductory thoughts, but we're going to talk about it again, is just the need for accuracy. Uh, if you can be accurate when you do your job descriptions and list everything that, uh, that the, this employee or this staff member is, is going to be responsible for doing, and you can be accurate in your performance evaluations and accurate in your onboarding and accurate uh, all the way through the process, then if it gets to a point where we've got to have a termination, uh, then we're in a situation where there aren't really any surprises. Uh, and that's just a really, really important part of it is we want to be accurate. And as a lawyer on the back end, I want accuracy because I need to be able to take accurate information to a judge or jury in the event that an, an employee leaves in a disgruntled fashion and sues the church. And we never want that to happen. And there are some things uh, that we can certainly do to to avoid that. And so I think that's important. And, and, you know, ultimately, we didn't talk about this in the interview, but the process of outboarding, you know, we did an onboarding, now we need to do an offboarding and, and being able to see, hey, what worked well for you? What didn't work well for you? What are some things that we can do better? You know, some of the best churches in the, to, to work at have one of those processes where leaving employees will sit down with a pastor and talk to them about, hey, here's what I didn't like about working here. And that can be a difficult conversation for the pastor, uh, hearing what somebody didn't like about working for that particular pastor or that particular uh, personnel committee. Um, But it can also be a really great opportunity to say, okay, here were some of our employment practices that this particular employee didn't like. Let's take a really objective look at that and is there something we could do better? Because the better employers we are, the better ambassadors for Christ we can be. Uh, we don't want uh, to be uh, wrapped up in this process of evangelism. We need to be wrapped up in that process of evangelism. But we also need to understand that how we treat our employees can diminish our effectiveness as evangelists. And so we, we need to make sure that we're treating our, our people well and doing the best we can possibly do to be the best uh, employers we can possibly be. 
So Josh, tell me a little bit about what you guys have going on right now at Church General Council. Yeah, let me tell you a little bit about our Church Esquire Club membership. This is completely free, uh, and it is a Facebook group that you can join where you're going to get access to some free legal forms. Uh, there'll be some tips that you'll get there that you're not going to get anywhere else. Um, th- these uh, forms, these are things that are commonly used and just frequently asked questions, things that come up. You'll get access to all of that. You're going to get access to a free monthly interactive Facebook live chat uh, where we'll pick a topic and you can jump on Facebook live and we're just going to uh, talk through that and I'll be able to answer questions and, and so forth. Uh, and you know what? Since lawyers uh, are the most made fun of profession in the world, uh, we'll post a few uh, clean, funny lawyer jokes as well. So go check that out. Facebook.com backslash groups backslash church esquire or you can just church, uh, search the church esquire club on facebook hey thank you so much for joining us for another episode of law and church make sure you check out lawandchurch.com for all the resources show notes links everything is available for you there and if you'd like to connect with us go over to facebook.com search the church esquire club there's all sorts of opportunities for you there and thanks so much for joining us we will see you next week <laughs>